Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. It's been almost two months since the season two finale of Star Trek Discovery aired, leaving us bereft of new Star Trek, but hopeful about an exciting new direction for the show in season three. It's also been almost two months since I and my co-host Ella Pearson have taken to the digital airwaves for another episode of Discoverage, our Star Trek Discovery recap and discussion show. That drought ends today as we assembled once more to look back on Season 2 of Discovery, an ambitious and daring season of Trek TV. But it's not just me and Ella this go-around. We're joined by two distinguished guests. Dave Gallanter, Trek author and perennial Discovered guest, is with us today to give us his thoughts on Disco Season 2. And we're also joined by first-time show guest Ali Martinez, a.k.a. the 23-year-old Trekkie, who is a podcaster and Trek Twitter personality in her own right. We had a very fun discussion about what we thought about Discovery Season 2, the highs and lows, the way this new iteration of Trek has continued to cement itself as part of the franchise of Trek, the way it manages to add depth to the existing events and characters of the franchise while writing its own chapter, and we speculate on what we think is coming up on Disco Season 3. It's a great conversation. We do, of course, talk through all of Disco Season 2, so beware of spoilers if you aren't caught up. But if you are, enjoy. If you're new to Enterprising Individuals, I'll let you know that you can catch us every Wednesday on your podcast listening platform of choice, having conversations with Trek authors, experts, and personalities about their favorite episodes of Trek. You can also follow Enterprising Individuals on Twitter at at E-I-S-T-P-O-D. You can join our Facebook group, Enterprising Interlocutions, and sign up to be a crew member of the show at patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-Pod for extra content. Hope you enjoy our conversation about Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. We'll be back to cover Season 3 with our recap show, Discoverage, broadcasting live right after Discovery airs on CBS All Access. And you can hear our coverage of previous Discovery episodes by searching for Discoverage on EnterprisingIndividuals.com. And now our Discoverage discussion of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the last season of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and last year I started a shelter for neglected tardigrades, but they all teleported away. Uh, this year I've got a new enterprise, jewelry made from discarded Kelpian threat ganglia, <coughs> available in a variety of colors and textures. Now you can own a piece of Kelpian history and look fabulous doing it. Turn a symbol of genetic enslavement into a stylish conversation piece. Call now. Supplies are limited. I'm joined on the show as usual by Ella Pearson. She's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the Chronic Rift Network, a more or less family-friendly celebration of geekdom. You can find it on the Chronic Rift Network at chronicrift.com. Welcome back, Ella. Thank you. I'm so happy and to welcome, be here. Welcome back to the British Isles. Uh, you've been traveling a lot recently, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah, I was in Italy for almost a week, and then I was back in London for like uh, 45 minutes, and then I went to uh, Greece, and I just got back from Greece very late last night. Now, how do you get there? Is this um, Are you flying, or is it, a, is it a train thing? Yeah, I've been flying. Trains are 
wild expensive turns out so mm, okay compared to flying we love cheap european flights yeah my flight back was 20 euros <laughs> um i don't even know how to convert that to dollars but it would be a similarly low amount <laughs> like, i think yeah maybe I think 25 it's about 20 dollars or so isn't it? <laughs> okay well there you go yeah and when you travel are you like there's a lot of people i know who are not very adventurous when it comes to food but will you eat just about anything <laughs> well, for starters, I I don't eat meat, which is a bit of a thing in mm. Europe because mm. everyone always wants to eat meat. So right. sometimes I can actually in Greece, um, there was way more vegetarian food for me to eat. I ate way more food in Greece than I did in Italy or than I did in France because all the food there was like just full of like fancy ham. I don't even know. <laughs> fancy <laughs> ham. <laughs> Known for their fancy ham. Well, uh, it's great yeah. to have you. It's great to have you back on the show. Uh, Elle and I are joined today by two special guests. First up, he's a perennial guest on Enterprising Individuals and on Discoverage. He's the author of multiple Star Trek novels and short stories, including the 2015 TOS novel Crisis of Consciousness. It's Dave Gallanter. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I do eat meat. In fact, I had hot dogs for dinner. What's your opinion <laughs> on uh, fancy ham? Um, you know, I was raised Jewish, so didn't get much of a <laughs> wow. taste for ham. Okay. However, Strike I do two. love bacon. So. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's a sort of a fancy <laughs> ham. Uh, I'm glad that you're here to get we, uh, so we can get your opinion on season two of Discovery. Um, you've been on the show a couple times during season two. What was your, in brief, overall impression of season two? How do you think it measured up to season one? Um, I think it was uh, probably more cohesive uh, than uh, season one. I, I felt that the... Uh, I don't know, somehow the overarching arc was tighter, um, yeah. and uh, I got to know the characters better, and uh, I love them. Great. Well, we'll get into it more in a little bit. Uh, finally on the show, she's a cosplayer, blogger, and a vocal presence on Star Trek social media. You can catch her on the Tricorder Transmissions Network or on her own Towel Talk Tuesdays sessions on Twitter and the upcoming Newbies, a watch party web series. It's Allie, the 23-year-old Trekkie. Allie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm. This is the first time being on the show for me. Yes, it is. Uh, it's great to have you here. And I always ask first-time guests to the show how they first discovered Star Trek. How did you become a Star Trek fan? Oh, I've been a Star Trek fan as long as I can remember. I grew up with it. My parents are also quite the Star Trek fans. So I don't want to say I was indentured into it because <laughs> I, I did come to it on my own and stuck with it. Sure. But I definitely have them to thank for it. And sure. it's something that's just been such a great presence throughout my whole life. And here I am, 23, and still crank, cranking on with Star Trek. So. Yeah, yeah. That's something, if, certainly in a certain age range that I've found, that it's something that you should share with your parents. Um, I don't think that my parents were really into Star Trek, so <laughs> I wish that I would have that uh, point of uh, contact with them. And I'm guessing, of course, it's not just a bit of branding, you calling yourself the 23-year-old Trekkie. Uh, I know that some older fans have been resistant to new Trek shows like Discovery and whatnot. You know, it's like, it's not their Trek. What do you think about the new explosion in Trek properties as somebody who is a 23-year-old Trekkie? I come from... I started actually my first experience with Star Trek that I vividly remember was Star Trek Enterprise. I used to watch mm -hmm. it in syndication. I sure. must have been about, what, six or seven years old, something like that. Sure. And so honestly, I am fine with the fact that everyone really has this they all have the show. We all have our favorite Star Trek series. Right. And that is totally different for each person. But I think that 
it's safe to say that there are also Star Trek series that we don't prefer. Like each of us have maybe one that's not the same that we feel about the others. And, you know, I just hate that there's so much hate going around. And I right. understand con- I understand constructive criticism. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. That's totally great. I mean, if, if we all were like, oh, it's great and cool, like we would have nothing to talk about. We wouldn't be podcasting about it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just... Uh, I believe that Star Trek evolves over time and the stories change as the world changes. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes maybe it needs some work and that's just the way it goes. So are you a Captain Archer stan? Um, I used to be when I was younger, but I think that was just because that's the only Star Trek that I was watching at that <laughs> okay, time. Right. I don't, I, I like each Star Trek series in different ways, but I wouldn't say Enterprise is my favorite, um, sure. but I'll just go with that. <laughs> if, if Enterprise is your favorite, props to you. <laughs> uh, something else that I tend to ask people on the show is what who their favorite captain is. Do you have a favorite captain? Oh, gosh. Um it would safely probably be Picard, but I'm watching, rewatching through Voyager again right now. And mm-hmm. I'm really like on the cusp about Janeway. There's episodes where, you know, each captain has episodes where they do great things and other episodes where you're like, oh, that doesn't seem like that character very much. But yeah. uh, I think that Janeway's coming, she's coming up the ranks for me. And I don't know why I didn't feel that way the ori- like the original time that I watched Voyager, but maybe it's just because I'm at a different point in my life right now and the the episodes and the character is more meaningful to me than it was before. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that Janeway, I'm also um, rewatching Voyager right now and I'm getting a lot of the same feelings. And I think that there is a more of a consistency uh, in the development of Picard, or at least the depiction of him as a character. And I think you're right that there are certain episodes or situations where you're like, is that really Janeway? But I think mm-hmm. if you take those, if you take the median, you take like the highs and the lows and you drop it out, I think, yeah, on average, um, Janeway is definitely up there for me, uh, number two, if not number one. Um, okay. I'm, I'm sure we've talked about this before, uh, Ella and Dave, people who've been on the show before, um, the glut of new Star Trek shows that are on the way. Do either of you have uh, any any show that you're particularly looking forward to? Oh, gosh. Ella's thinking about um, it. I'm... Uh... I'm excited for the what is it the the lower deck series? Yeah, yeah. The anime. I think show. that yeah, that has huge potential to just be hilarious. And I'm <clears throat> excuse me, I would just absolutely live for um uh, like a straight comedy, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm seriously looking forward to the Picard show. Um, and not that I, I, I won't enjoy the others. I'm also looking forward to the Nickelodeon show because, uh, it'll be more geared toward kids and I can get, uh, you know, my niece involved who's going to be eight, eight and a half by the time that comes out. Um, and I'd really like a Pike series. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's been a push I know with, uh, uh, an online petition, which does absolutely nothing. Um, but, uh, I find it interesting that uh, Kurtzman and uh, and uh, Anson Mount and Ethan Peck have all been sort of like, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're we, we we that would be interesting, and we'd all like that. Right. And that tells me that maybe they're maybe they're really seriously considering it. A little cagey, but I'm sure there's some emails going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Agents. <laughs> I, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be great because that's two avenues that I think Trek hasn't really gone down before. 
uh, comedy, and of course, not since the animated series, um, An Avenue for Kids. Allie, is there, out of the millions of Trek shows that they are working on or have announced, is there one that you're looking forward to? I am also very much looking forward to the Picard show. I think that's definitely on the cusp of all of the Picard show news that's been coming out. And we've been seeing photos from the set and photos of the uniforms. Uh, Trek movie, um, Aaron, I can't think of his name. Um, One of the artists over at Trek movie just kind of did a compilation of what that tiny little shot that we saw of them wearing the uniform and what they could extrapolate from that, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Already want to cosplay it. So that's (laughs) a good sign for me. Uh, But I also am very much looking forward to Lower Decks. They did the table read. I believe it was a week or two weeks ago. And then also the Nickelodeon series. I don't have kids, but um, I know a lot of families that do. And I'm going to be like, hey, you should have them watch this. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's the thing that I want to hear the most details about. But it might might be a little bit before we uh, end up hearing anything about that. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the show, Allie, Ella, and Dave. It's good to have you here. Today, we're taking a look back at season two of Star Trek Discovery. Discovery exploded onto the g- digital airwaves in September of 2017 and reintroduced the world of Star Trek to both a new audience and a new platform. The first season of the show was critically praised and received a mixed, though generally positive, response from fans. The final episode of season one featured the teasing introduction of Captain Pike's Enterprise, a tease that would be ultimately fulfilled as season two would go on to introduce Captain Pike, number one, and Lieutenant Spock as recurring characters, as well as seeing the return of such characters as Ash Tyler, Lorel, Sarek, Amanda, Giorgio, and Admiral Cornwall. After 14 episodes, the season ended on a major cliffhanger, one that seemed to tie up any lingering issues of continuity and promised a third season that would truly go where no Trek show had gone before. And just like our season one show last year, I binged the uh, season ahead of this show. And again, just like last year, I found that the show worked much better for me. I think I even enjoyed it more when I took it several episodes at a time. Did anybody else binge it or or try to watch it in blocks before this? I did, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I I loved binging it. It was so, like, I was so much less confused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, you'll have to help me out then later because I'm still a little confused about some things. <laughs> I want to know what you're confused about. Maybe I can help because I actually, I think I watched season two probably all told about four times now. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. You're <laughs> our expert then. I definitely agree that when you get a chance to watch it all like back to back that because we had the chance to like wait a week or for sometimes like there's a little bit of a break but then we get a chance to say okay well this cliffhanger isn't here anymore or like we didn't know this last episode but now we can go straight into the next episode just as it would happen on the ship so like this just happened and now it's going right into the next thing that would naturally occur yeah yeah looking at it from the outside of season two it it feels like that to me it feels more than ever like a 14 hour movie and there's like this continual build of action and stakes and there's a few um intermittent sort of slower scenes that kind of blow off the tension you know especially with the meta plot this season you know the signals and the angel there's this constant feeling of you know we've got to get to the next one or, or we're behind we have to catch up with the angel and it really drives the action and it's great for like a zippy space series but i I felt somewhat detached. I felt like even more than last year, 
we sometimes skip over moments that might otherwise, I think, be great character pieces. Like I agree with with Dave when he says that, you know, we definitely got to like zero in and learn a little more about some of the um, other ancillary characters this year. But I was thinking about like Dr. Culber and his return and the tension in his relationship with Stamets. Um, did the existential horror of waking up in a different body <laughs> like he's he's got this he's got a mushroom body now <laughs> presumably his old body is floating through space in a hollowed out torpedo somewhere and that's like fascinating stuff but we just kind of get very brief very like one an episode specific beats or moments in where he has a fight with Tyler or he talks to Cornwell and we know that in the background he's dealing with this experience but I feel like on a normal quote-unquote uh, weekly Trek show we would get you know, more chances to see him sort of becoming a new person or, or sort of dealing with what happened to him. I wonder if that's true because previous Trek shows, uh, with the exception probably more of, of DS9 and then later Enterprise somewhat, uh, you know, uh, something bad would happen to you and then and then the following week they, they might not, uh, you know, uh, bring it up even. <laughs> right, the um, reset, <laughs> right. Uh, although, uh, look, obviously narrative storytelling has changed on television and, and Deep Space Nine was a bit different and Enterprise did a little bit more of that. But now with the sort of, you know, Game of Thrones type of big arch, arching story with, well, more than six episodes, but, you know, 10 or 14 episodes in which to, to tell a story. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. You mentioned Culber and his talk with uh, with uh, the Admiral. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was an awesome moment of advice. And I, I ended up liking her much more, seeing her in the role of not being a Starfleet Admiral, but the psychiatrist that she is. Yeah, I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, and for I, I don't know what the uh, status of the counselor program is in the 23rd century, but just the idea that they were acknowledging the idea that yeah, these people go through crazy stuff all the time, and definitely could use somebody to talk to. I always think that Michael, we should have you know, I guess she's getting like solace and comfort from her friends and the people who that she works with, but I kind of want her to sit down with somebody like uh, the admiral and be like. Admiral, there's a lot going on with me. I got a boyfriend that's a Klingon, and I got all this. My mom's dead. Now she's alive, and she needs to talk to somebody. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I've always said about Discovery is that I feel like, not that we don't see it in other Trek shows, because we do, but Discovery does, it is pretty heavy on, okay, well, these are real human beings. Like, mm -hmm. we, they have problems, and they struggle with them, and we see that. Not that we didn't see that before, but some of the characters in other Trek series, like, for example, we do see Picard go through moments where he's having trouble, but most of the time, like, Picard is is Breezen, like, the ultimate role model. Right. So I think that it's really cool that we get to see these moments where you're like, okay, they're having a lot of trouble. Because, honestly, if I were placed in some of these situations, I don't even know that I would handle it as well as what we saw yeah. in Discovery Season <laughs> yeah. 2. Yeah. Yeah, and there was just uh, on that sort of mental health sort of uh, topic, like, there was a standout scene for me that was early on in the show when... Tilly was, or the season when Tilly was dealing with her problem with seeing May and basically being even more sort of scattered than she usually is and just at a point where she's like, I don't know what's going on and I think that I am losing it. I think maybe I'm just, I can't take it anymore. 
and she talks to Michael, her roommate, and Michael's like, well, let's let's be Michael about this. Let's be logical. Let's think through the facts. We know this. We know this. We know this. And so we know that this something specific is happening to you. You don't have to be afraid of it. She sort of like logics her problems away uh, and makes her feel better, which I thought was like, wow, that's a really, that's a very character specific kind of thing. And it's also showing us that these characters aren't just bouncing off of each other. They're like listening to each other and, uh, and helping each other. Uh, I asked last year on our season one recap show, if the, the kind of pace that we're seeing now, um, like on a show like Discovery, where week to week we're just moving to the next thing, to the next thing. If that's something that we should expect from streaming Trek shows in general, and the answer it would seem, as far as Discovery is concerned, is yes. Do you think that other new Trek shows, uh, like the Section 31 show or the Picard show, uh, will run at this same pace? I mean, I think they have to, right? Like to, Because I think the reason why Disco is like this is because they want they want to seem more new and more modern and i feel like all of television now is that that huge like dave said the like game of thrones thing where it's like yeah you have this massive like intricate story and very rarely do you get those like one-off episodes like they're trying to be very like relevant and present in 2019 instead of relying on what worked in Star Trek beforehand. Yeah, I think probably the closest thing that we got to a standalone episode last year was uh, the Mud episode, um, which is a kind of a little lacuna in, in the ongoing story of season one. This year, I was trying to think, I'm not even sure if we got something that was as close as that this year. I mean, pretty much everything was at least 50% kind of the ongoing meta plot. Maybe um, the second episode, A New Eden, would be the best example of that, where we're just sort of finding something as a mystery to be solved, you know, with a promise to it, it connecting somehow to the main sort of mythology. Yeah, that's what I was actually, when you were mentioning that, that's the first episode that came to mind for me, yeah. which is actually New Eden is one of my favorite episodes out of all of season two. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I I definitely agree. I uh, in the Deep Space Nine documentary, no spoilers, won't say anything for those that haven't seen it yet. <laughs> sure. But they they did mention kind of the idea of you know now that it is Deep Space Nine featured that kind of story arc, and sometimes it is tricky, especially back when there wasn't Netflix and there wasn't other methods of being able to watch it, like binge watch it. So like you'd either hope that you'd catch one you missed on a rerun at three in the morning or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But I I think that it's it feels appropriate, kind of like you said, especially for the way that Discovery is shot and produced is in like a c- cinematic format. And it does kind of feel very much like you said, a 14 hour movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be like a stick in the mud or, or say that I don't like what we've got so far. I do. You know, I just I would like to see in all the offerings that we're getting, I'd like to see at least one of them try to at least um focus a little more on kind of delivering like that weekly conundrum that we we got used to with um, older Trek shows, you know, solving some kind of problem. And if there's some kind of ongoing concern, you know, we've got the Zindi or something like that, that's fine. But I, I, I like it just in general on TV when 
you've you're a little more focused on what's happening this week. What character are we exploring? What aspect of the show are we looking at? I, Ella will probably know. I talk about Farscape all the time on my Star Trek show, which doesn't make any sense, but I think <laughs> Farscape always did a really good job of like placing us somewhere within the ongoing mythology of the show, whatever who we're, we're running from or whatever we're trying to fix. But then each week, you know, we'd make sure to have some some little thing that changes about the characters or something about the dynamic of the crew on the ship that's altered by, you know, what we're doing. I feel that we did sort of get that. We had an episode, uh, you know, that took place half in and half out of mycelial space. Yeah, that was a great uh, one. Yeah, yeah. And, and you had the problem with uh, both May, the Jossap, um, and and finding Culber and getting him out, and that was a fairly self-contained. I mean, there were threads that were connected from and to other episodes, but that was a standalone problem. The one on on uh, 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 the Kelpian homeworld, which all of a sudden my mind is blocking on the name of it. Um, Kaminar. With Kaminar. Kaminar. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that was sort of a standalone episode too, again, with threads from and two other episodes. But I felt that we got some self-contained stories with just bits and pieces that tied into the overall thing. But it, we actually visited different places in this, yeah. whether it be, again, Mycelial Space or Kaminar or, or New Eden or what have you. Um, I felt we got it. You know, when I think about earlier series and the things that the episodes that I love, like uh, the inner light or the visitor. I wonder if we'll ever get an episode like that, or we'll get storylines that have the quality of something like the visitor or the inner light, but just, you know, spread out over a certain amount of time in the longer uh, 14, 15 hour narrative. Well, I feel like maybe lower decks would be something like that, especially because um, the one of the main writers is from Rick and Morty, who they kind of have that. I mean, yes, it is comedy, but there is the like each episode is kind of like, OK, well, they're going somewhere else. And I can see that that would work for lower decks because it's supposed to be like a comedy show of what happens aboard the Enterprise. Like maybe there's <laughs> going to be a whole yeah. episode of a bunch of people trying to fix a replicator and then all the right. crazy stuff that happens with that. Like, yeah. I, I'm so excited to see just the insane stuff that we that happens in Lower Decks. Yeah. Uh, there's a, I've got a pet Mugatu. Can I keep him? No, no, you can't keep him. <laughs> Put a lampshade on him. Nobody will ever know. Yeah. Uh, something else that we talked about last year was why the p- producers chose specifically to set it in the pre-TOS era, if there was something that they wanted to accomplish in doing that and whether or not they succeeded. And something that we wondered was, is if we'd ever get to see the the future of the future, that is, shows set after the TNG films. And of course, because Alex Kurtzman and Kirsten Beyer listen to this show, uh, we're getting that in spades uh, with a Picard series <laughs> set in the late 24th century and a third season of Disco set in the 32nd century. So you're welcome, everyone. Uh, what do you guys think <laughs> about the prospect of Disco being set in the far future in season three? I'm very excited. I think that it was a really good idea. Well, for just for it being like pre-TOS, I think that was like a really good idea as a promise for the show because everything else has been built on TOS. And so to go back to it was like a surprise and something different than what we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And then to um, jump it into the, that far into the future makes it like, now they have the ability to make it entirely its own new show without having to reference like other stuff 
that was going on at the time or without having to have like the Enterprise or Pike around. This has been eating at me. I could swear that a couple of years ago I saw somewhere online and maybe you guys can help me uh, figure this out that they had at one point, I think in like the late 90s or maybe the mid 2000s, talked about possibly doing a new uh, Star Trek show, like an animated show set about 100 years after TNG. And it was, they only had sketches and things like that. But the idea was, is that things had kind of taken a darker turn. Um, the Federation wasn't battled and there were other sort of enemies to sort of worry about. And I can't, maybe that was a dream I had because I still I haven't been able to find this anywhere. But I was kind of caught on that idea thinking that would be kind of neat. It's not that I want to see things go bad. It would be great if the Federation just kept getting better as we went. But seeing things become a little more uncertain, seeing things, uh, completely new elements, you know, how the galaxy is huge, but, um, you know, will we find new enemies or new friends or whatever? And so, yeah, for my own part, I think that, it's really exciting, the idea that we're sending the show this far in the future. I mean, it's a long way in the future. Dave, what about you? What do you think? I think that uh, um, coming out of it, I was uh, when it was all first announced, I was like, why are we seeing, you know, uh, basically what seemed to be a different Sarek? Um, and and uh, then with the Enterprise, uh, at first I was thinking – this pike was a little too glib. This is not the pike I know. <laughs> and then I realized we've seen Sarek in about six things and we don't know him necessarily that well. Right. And certainly there are different sides to him. And I, I, I realized, you know, there is a depth that occurs when you see a little bit more context and there are parents who treat their children very differently. Um, Sometimes when uh, a parent sees themselves in the child, um, it doesn't go well. And when they see something they fell in love with in their partner, um, they like that child a little bit more. They give it more deference. Um, and uh, I saw that a little bit with Sarek. Here's a human child, more like his wife. Um, and he, he's giving that person more deference and the child that's more like him, Spock, he's more, he's, he's harder on. Yeah. Um, and then with Pike, I realized I knew nothing about Pike other than he beeped yes or no. And he was really <laughs> depressed yeah. after this battle where he <laughs> lost a bunch of people. Yeah. And the regular Pike who enjoyed riding horses and, and, uh, you know, picnicking in the Mojave and all of that, we didn't know um, other than in, you know, he was in a, a, a cage. Um, and we got to see who Pike really was. And I, I love that. And I think the brilliance, believe it or not, of this story is that now we get to go into the far future, but we have a common understanding and a common frame of reference having seen original Star Trek and just before it as the crew that is going to go into the future with us. Yeah. So they might be a little fish out of water, but we will have a common reference with them, a common frame of reference. And so we're all going to be on that journey a thousand years into the future together. And I think that's brilliant. And by the way, you will notice there is a time crystal season one, episode one 
in the opening credits. So uh, <laughs> I believe that this was the plan all along. I don't disagree with you, except for the fact that many times, in, and Ella can attest to this, in season one, I asked, what are these crystals? And everybody said, it's dilithium. <laughs> don't worry about it. And I'm like, dilithium's not green. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I believe you, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. Also, we're bringing Taco Tuesday with us, it looks like. So that's good, too. <laughs> Allie, what about you? Is this a, a scary prospect or an exciting one? I very much resonate with what Dave said. I feel especially like in the first in the first season, I did also see the whole crystal thing and had the same idea, like the thoughts as you. And I do believe that in a recent interview, Kurtzman did say that it was the plan from the very beginning that they were going to go to the future. That was the intention. And I don't know if that was like uh, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harbert's thing. And now they're no longer with the show or what what happened there. But I I felt a little bit like while I loved Discovery and I love both the first and the second season in different ways because I feel like they are very different. Mm. I feel like I was always looking for it to fit inside. I'm going to use this term and I hate this term, but I, <laughs> I was looking for it to fit inside this little canon bubble. Okay. And Ooh. Um, yes. Ooh. I, I'm not I'm not like a canonista or any of that. I'm not like, oh, it has to fit or blah, yeah, blah, blah, because right. like can't um, whatever. I'm not going to get into that argument. <laughs> but I I felt like for some of the episodes, not for all of them, there was kind of this push for it to how does this fit yeah. instead of the idea of, OK, well, Star Trek goes where no one has gone before, which did happen. Like we saw stuff that Gosh, I mean, the spore drive itself, like something totally different, um, <laughs> skipping across space in a highway made of mushrooms, you know, all that stuff. Right. So I I am excited about the fact that they're going to the future. And I feel like I kind of knew it as soon as we saw Calypso. I feel like I was like, well, all right. It was in the offing. Interesting. Yeah. So I was like, they're, they can't have had this short trek about Calypso and the discovery is 900 <laughs> some years in the future. Like there's got to be some tie in there. And same with we did see tie ins with the other short treks as well, yeah, like yeah. with, with Kaminar. And it was nice to have that introduction. And so I'm really excited about it. I think they can really take it wherever they want to now. And that's just like a really exciting idea for all of us. Yeah. Canon is something that's well named because it can blow up in your face if you're not careful. But I've never cared all that much about how various Trek series fit into canon or how they follow it. Um, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't canon that Sarah and Amanda were Spock's parents until DC Fontana wrote it into Journey to Babel. So can I use my line? Yeah, give me your line. All, all questions of canon are to be answered by Captain James R. Kirk of the United Earth Space Probe Agency. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I just watched that episode the other day. I think I saw his tombstone the other day. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the, the makers of Discovery were specifically at play in the fields of canon this season, you know, including elements and characters that stretch back to the franchise's origins and adding a lot of specific touches, too, that were meant to address, like we said, inconsistencies, whether it's necessary or not. What did you guys think of season two i guess as a whole being essentially the cage part two or volume two um did you have any favorite revived characters or elements uh that you saw i don't know if i mean i enjoyed seeing uh, the telosians again and i yeah. again i got i got this deeper context of why in the menagerie would spock have been in communication with the telosians 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 um telosians yeah well, because they had this connection previously. Yeah. Um, because in, in the cage, there really isn't any. 
I mean, I don't think he even th- talks to a Talosian um, uh, during the cage. But all of a sudden in the menagerie, he's been in communication with them and he's 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 done this plot and he's gotten this help to save him from a charge of mutiny, which apparently Sarek can only raise mutineers. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 that that was that that's that deeper context I think that Discovery has been giving me just like it did with why Sarek was so upset in the first season with well in general with Spock because in the first season we learned uh, Sarek chose for Spock to go to uh, uh, to the Vulcan Science Academy um, passing over uh, Michael and then what happens Spock says eh, screw it I don't want to be there anyway <laughs> and I'm like. Wow. Okay, I could. My dad would have been pissed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing that 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 I've gotten out of it, and I've enjoyed revisiting or not or visiting for the first time things that give uh, uh, future episodes or from the past context. Yeah, that kind of context is fascinating. I really was uh, just. I, I thought it was so great seeing episode eight goes to you know talos of course and and we get a really uh, drilling down of those elements and we specifically see pike interact with vena which if i just felt added so much context to uh to their story instead of just well this guy had this accident and he lives this uh this horrible life let's take him back to a planet where he can live like a better life it sort of extends that thing so it becomes yeah, actually, I have been thinking about this person, and years and years later, when this thing happens to him, he has a chance to not only return to a form of health, but also to see this person that we now know that he has been thinking about. It's not just this girl who's also on the planet. Well, and the Talosians themselves, by the way, have uh, an interest in having other humans or other beings around. Yeah. They get off on it, sort of. And I liked, by the way, that they <laughs> wanted a price from Spock and Burnham. Uh, to to help them. Yeah. And so helping Spock later with Pike, same thing. They're getting something out of it. Have they given up their plan of, of trying to sort of like restart or repopulate their species? Like, do they have a menagerie still? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe we'll see that in a thousand years. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, Allie, what about you? I actually just, when I watched If Memory Serves, like immediately when watching that episode, so I watch Discovery with my husband who is not he watches Star Trek with me but he hasn't seen all of it so I was like freaking out during this whole episode I was like that connects to this and this does that and he was like what are you talking about and so I was so (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting them there I'm getting them there Um, we're working on it but so I was so excited about just the whole fact of if memory serves and then also I went back after watching If Memory Serves and did watch The Menagerie. And I actually had this kind of thought of the Spock that we see in The Menagerie kind of reminds me of the Spock that we see in Discovery Season 2. And I liked that connection where, because, I mean, obviously in The Menagerie, we're like, okay, well, this is not Spock. Like, he's going to get court-martialed for for doing this. And just kind of that, um, that impulsiveness, I was like, reminds me of the younger Spock. And going off of that, some of the characters that they reintroduced, there was such an opportunity for that to be done in a way that would have like 
all the Star Trek fans could have just like absolutely hated Discovery, but it wasn't that way. Yeah. I feel like the way they honored the characters was wonderful. And my favorite character that they brought back was number one. Uh, she's um, definitely my favorite. Kive cosplayed her before. And I wish <laughs> that we would have seen a little more of her. I also think, though, it's part of when we see her for the first time. I believe it's ennoble for Sharon that we see her the yeah. first episode and I mean she comes on the Enterprise and has a burger and leaves and then we don't see her again like till the end of the season yeah I was like, come on guys like you made such a big deal about promoting <laughs> yeah. her and now we didn't we did get to see in the finale what well, I'm assuming that everyone that's listening to this has seen the finale they better have. um that we do get to see her a little bit more and get to see her in action which I loved but that also leads me to the fact that Having like a Pike series or even a Pike mini series, like maybe six or seven episodes, would be pretty great. Yeah, I think so too. I like that she likes uh, spicy ketchup on her on her fries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the opening of If Memory Serves was so cool, uh, and it was cool just to see Trek flex like that and use its whole history. It reminded me of I don't know if you guys are Doctor Who fans, but like when Doctor Who does something like the Five Doctors, or they have something mm -hmm. in a modern series refer back you know they use old footage from like an old doctor who series you know all of trek even the new shows you know they're all building on what started in the 60s but it always feels like there's a remove like we're always trying to do something kind of new but i thought it was great to see exactly where we came from to get to where we were today yeah uh what about you ella anything from the sort of tos era or those elements that they use that really stuck out for you Anybody who's listened to this show before knows that I love Spock. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's been my favorite character since, you know, I was four. And I saw my first episode of the animated series. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> having this season sort of um, revolve around him and his uh, struggle being half human and with his emotions and um, him and Burnham's relationship. Uh, was just like amazing for me to see him back on screen. <laughs> yeah. Did you think that uh, I kind of uh, going off of what Ali said before, like not seeing enough of uh, number one, did you think that he kind of faded into the background, like for a little while, like after they get him back and he's kind of dealing with uh, getting his head, head back on straight, he kind of just hangs around in that lab for a couple episodes until they, they go out and find that uh, section 31 ship. A little bit, yeah. He kind of just, he's a little just, like, emo for a couple episodes and says, like, <laughs> okay. some funny stuff. <laughs> well, he's and he was quite... also being Spock. I thought he was working the problem. Well, sure. Oh, Dave, definitely. Yeah. Dave, as the author of Troublesome Minds, I mean, you're no stranger to Spock struggling with his dual nature and his exceptional mind. What do you think of their depiction of Spock at this point in his history? I loved it. I thought it was uh, actually really kind of reminiscent of him in the motion picture mm. um, because mm -hmm. in the motion picture, he mind melded with uh, V'ger. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was an overwhelming experience for him. And um, this again, he, he uh, mind melded with a time traveler and uh, um, all of the past and present in that mind meld uh, you know, was not something that he could interpolate. And um, I, I, it, it seemed to me like the same character, just at a younger point in his life. And um, I loved it. Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, even though later he'll be driven to seek Colin R and kind of get rid of his emotions, like 
as he starts to work everything out and kind of comes back down to normal and um, he opens up emotionally and, and like repairs his bond with Michael and we get even a little smile out of him as, as Pike points out. Like I like the fact that he's becoming more comfortable with himself. I've always thought that once once uh, uh, he has that episode with Feature, Spock really finds himself and he finds the balance um, that uh, he's gone back and forth with. Because right. I notice in Star Trek Two, he he uh, says things like logic suggests, or were I to invoke logic? Yeah, and yeah. he doesn't live by it quite as much. He uses it as a tool as opposed to a rule. Yeah, until of course you know at the end of three, when he gets like rebooted back to zero, he's like, he keeps, he's like a show or a property that keeps getting rebooted. So he has to keep sort of building <laughs> all over again from square one, but he turns out okay. And like Culver, he also has a corpse somewhere that's rotting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. Uh, something else we naturally focused on in last year's wrap up show was the character of Michael Burnham, uh, the first female non-white lead character in Trek show, which got a lot of attention at the time. And I asked specifically if the franchise was going to continue in that trend by continuing to cast women and uh, POCs and gay and lesbians in future seasons. And again, thanks for listening, guys, because Discovery outdid itself in that regard this year. Uh, the show even goes out of its way. I think this is funny to to kill off a crabby white male crew member in the first episode. Remember Connolly? Anybody remember Connolly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, man. He's trying to mansplain everything. Yeah. No big Starfleet funeral he for him. Literally, <laughs> he was about to say something so misogynistic to right. burn him, and then he just got killed. In the I, asteroid I just, uh, just killed watched him. that episode. I lived for it. <laughs> so maybe they had his, like, Arian funeral on the Enterprise, and we didn't see it. But yeah, he's, uh, get rid of that guy. He's Nobody gone. showed up. Nobody showed up for it. No, however, <laughs> notice, by the way, that Burnham and Pike were both, uh, they weren't taking that lightly. That was, that was a loss to them. Sure. So he might have been a jerk, but he was obviously skilled. And uh, and they weren't taking it lightly. It wasn't it wasn't played for laughs, even though uh, he kind of I don't want to say he got what was coming to well, him. Yeah. But it felt it, to the audience, it might have felt nice. But I, w- I would have been more horrified if they had taken it that way. Yeah. And of course, they're immediately thrust into a another you know situation where they have to save Pike. And it's very tense. And it's the kind of thing where it's dual purpose because you, you kill off a character to increase the tension, but also you can make a statement about maybe we don't want that kind of character on the show. Well, I didn't quite know how to take Michael this season. I, I think the first season totally pulled it off in showing us a character that was a little too convinced that she was right. And she, she made a big mistake, but she sort of claws her way back and, and finds her center more as a character. And, you know, this season we learn more about her past and her connection to her family members. But to me, it seemed like a lateral move in terms of character growth uh, I, you know, I liked seeing her um, repair her bond with Spock and become closer with Amanda and Sarek, you know, but I was expecting, you know, I know she's been put through a lot emotionally, but I was expecting more self-possession um, from her. And I, I don't envy her you know, in her situation. I mean, a lot of things are happening. She's learning a lot of things about herself. But like at the end when Pike's like, hmm, who should be the captain now? I was like, not, not, not her, not just yet. You know, you've got an eight foot tall horse guy over there who's just been owning it the entire time. <laughs> like he's next to the chair. We'll just pick him for now. Maybe we'll come back. I found it very interesting that they made a point of that and made a point of not uh, choosing anyone specifically and asking Pike. Uh, uh, it was Saru who asked Pike, you know, let's 
take that off the table for now. Right. And that tells me that they're planning to tell a story about it. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. And yeah. maybe that story is going to last the whole season next season. I don't know. Yeah. Now, there's a Vulcan captain waiting. I don't know <laughs> how long just, they've been waiting, but it's I been know, a while. <laughs> I know. He's uh, he's made a, his way through uh, Game of Thrones. He's read all the Lord of the Rings books. He's just sitting there waiting. One assumes that once Pike was assigned, um, that they, they, you know, sent him an email or something. <laughs> right. We regret to inform you. Yeah. You know, uh, Saru is... <laughs> Has everybody seen The Avengers? The Endgame? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Three S's? Yes, yes. Okay, good. I don't want to ruin anything. And I guess... I guess the listeners are screwed if they haven't seen it, but like I didn't want like a um, like a cap shield situation. You know, there's like an argument for Falcon. There's an argument for uh, Bucky, but I didn't want it to just be, well, here you go, Sam. And then Bucky's like, sure, go ahead. Why not? You take it. <laughs> like I. Thank uh, you. Yeah, you're right. I really like Saru. <laughs> and uh, and I think that he's certainly um, unless we do, like Dave said, get more of this story, which I'm, you know, I think we probably will. Uh, I think Saru's definitely owned owned it at this point. Hashtag Saruligans. My my question is, uh, was Saru's hesitation because in his sense, he is a new, he might not know himself as well. Hmm. This is where I would go with it. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know if they're going to go anywhere with it, but this is where I would go with it because his whole life experience has been one where he's felt this constant fear and now he doesn't. And he might feel he needs to learn about himself before he can be a captain now. Yeah. This is the same guy that let Culber and Tyler just duke it out in the cafeteria. <laughs> let them fight. Yeah. Although he did get talked down by Pike's like, we're not going to do that. So, yeah, maybe he's he's prudently sort of questioning himself. I, I could see that for the character. Which, by the way, is it wrong that Pike has become, I think, my favorite captain? Oh, yeah. Ooh, no. He kind of has. I, I mean, but I love Kirk and I love Picard, and uh, to a lesser extent, uh, uh, Cisco wasn't a big fan of Archer, um, and Janeway, like we talked about at the beginning, was a little bit off and on with me. But I love him; I really do. Yeah, I love that. I one thing about Anson Mount taking on the role of Pike is that we this we had mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we really didn't have a lot to, to we didn't see a lot of Pike. I mean, we yeah. saw in the menagerie and we saw in the cage and then i guess if you consider the jj abrams movies that's like here or there um i mean i like the abrams movies but i'm talking about like pike in general um because it's like a different kind of character and i just felt while like the pike was not exactly the same as jeffrey hunter but we when he steps on the bridge or when he comes on the enterprise it just like had that he just had that vibe I don't know how to explain it. It just Anson Mount, obviously, as a fan of Star Trek, and he he treasures it. He just carried himself in that way where I was like, oh, yeah, that's Captain Pike, even though I had no like we have not a lot of content to draw that off of. So that's something that I absolutely loved. And as the show just went on, I just consistently being surprised and just loving everything that Anson Mount brought to the character. And that's what Pike series, Pike series. Pike series, baby. <laughs> I will say this. I have I, – I, I loved Pike and I really would love a, a Pike series with number one and Spock. Um, but there's a part of me for – this is a horrible thing I guess to, to even consider. There's a part of me that uh, says um, are there people who are like 
Uh, yeah, of course, um, we need a series with Pike because he's a white male. Um, and oh, I don't yeah. want it to I don't want it to downgrade um, uh, Discovery or Burnham. If they gave me a choice between continuing Discovery and Burnham and having a Pike series, I would still pick Discovery and Burnham. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. it's especially important um, <laughs> in these times. Um, and uh, and by the way, I got to say, uh, uh, I the 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 haters quote unquote that I've uh, seen comments from tend to be these very sort of misogynist, racist, um, very non track uh, sort of thoughts. And so uh, I I will admit, as much as I want a Pike series, um, I, I hope it's not going to uh, please people for the wrong reasons. I feel that, yeah. And I think that the joke would be on them because it'll be a Pike series created by the same people who are creating Discovery. So it'll be Boyan Kim or Erica Lippolt, you know, writing scripts that are providing the exact same things that they probably don't want from Discovery just on an Enterprise show. So I think, yeah, I mean... I agree with you. Like, I would hate for a Pike show to, you know, we just talked about going forward, you know, literally into the future. Like, I want to see that more than I want to see a Pike show. A Pike show could be great, but I think it will definitely hold the same values that we're getting out of new Trek, which, uh, yeah, they can take it or leave it. I feel like a lot of it, too, with what Dave was saying is from what I've seen on social media, I unfortunately, there's been many bouts with people who are the quote unquote haters, and I've blocked many people. <laughs> but um, I, I'm not sad about blocking them. Not sad at all. But the one thing that you kind of mentioned is so these people that are like, okay, well, I won't like I've seen one episode of Discovery and I refuse to watch it or blah, 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 etc. Yeah. There's a million different reasons that people will give about it. And uh, the thing is, like you had said, okay, so with the Picard show, now everyone's like, oh, great, it's a Picard show, it's going to fix everything that Discovery <laughs> messed up. And I'm like, okay, so watch, you're going to watch the Picard show, which is actually, Patrick Stewart is an executive producer on yeah. the Picard show. Yeah. And then you're going to be mad about what's on the Picard show. Like, you can't make them happy. The haters can never be made happy from anything. They just want to hate to hate. That's it. It's hard to gauge uh, fan reaction um you know, objectively to season two. I mean, people are watching it um, as much, if not more than season two. Discovery is always near the top of the weekly streaming charts uh, for streaming shows. Uh, Both season one and two of Discovery are at 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Season one had a 52% audience score and uh, season two had a 35% audience score. And this is the season with Pike and Spock and everything that every Trek bro, you know, wants to give his left nut for, you know, for a for a Pike show. So so it's hard to know exactly what's going to make people happy or where the hate is coming from. Although I will say, and I'm as I'm sure as you guys know, like audience reviews on sites, uh, what are they worth really? Like you, I was going through some of the audience reviews today and there's very many one star, half star reviews, nothing written under them. And then when there is something written, it's like, this isn't what Gene wanted or, you know, it's just the usual thing that you'd expect. Gene wanted to make money. So it is. But And get um, laid. Don't forget. He wanted to get laid too. too. But, but I, I got to tell you, some of the comments I've seen are about how um, the science is horrible. Um, I'm like, dude, have you ever Star Trekked? I mean, <laughs> dude, the original series, the original series beamed people into themselves. So right. they would forget the last day or two. Right. Yeah. 
That makes no sense. Don't tell me about the science of Star Trek. <laughs> Don't forget all um, the transport incident and then well, all our alternate evil selves will come out and fight with each other. Right. Or just poor Tom Riker, who, by yeah. the way, living alone on a planet, he has the same gut as regular Riker. Right. And beard, the same immaculately trimmed right. beard. Right. Well, that's just genetics, right? He was going to grow a beard at that age. So <laughs> that, that's science right there. How come I need to trim my beard weekly? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I just it's for that reason, and like Ali said, it's just hard to deal sometimes with people who don't want to hear uh, the good news on social media. So maybe from that angle, the jump to the future is the best thing for the show. Um, if they can't please people with 23rd century stories, people aren't happy when they bring fan favorite characters aboard. I think maybe it's a good chance for the show to just strut and just go literally to a place where they're free to write their own future in a new storyscape and just not worry what people think. Plus, I want to see some post-Nemesis stuff. Well, it's very, very post. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's extremely <laughs> post. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is open as to what's going on. And there's a part of me that wants to see it, but not be too involved with it. I mean, I, I would I would not want them to, you know, just contact Starfleet and be integrated into Starfleet again as a really old ship or something. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, wa- I want to see what's out there that would even be new to uh, to people from that era. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Well, something that's interesting, uh, I'll bring this up and I guess um, pose this to you guys if that's okay. Sure. Um, in a recent Tricorder Transmissions Patreon hangout, we kind of asked the question of, are they going to stay in the future? Or are they going to figure out a way to come back right away? Or are they going to stay there for a season and come back? Or are they going to be permanently in the future? I don't know. I have no idea. I think the idea is is that the that that sphere data is on there. Uh, computer and they need to stay uh, they need to stay away yeah. that's that was that was my impression yeah unless they swap ships or something like that it's another thing that's it's hard to tell is that there is you know kind of a real world uh, situation that keeps happening which is we keep sort of losing showrunners after the first you know half of the epi- uh, series mm-hmm. is planned and so we've had that again with season two and I, I don't know. I, I feel like I might be wrong, but I feel like the show slowed down in the kind of um, political and social commentary that we're used to seeing uh, in Trek and in the first season of Disco in this season. Nobody's threatening to make the Empire great again, you know, this year. Um, we all, we got it like an early almost abortive look at the idea of faith and religion, you know, in the future. Mm-hmm. But that all it's part of it is like we've got to get into the action stuff and, and get into the, um, the control storyline. But I wonder if that was maybe a focus more for Bergen Harberts or just the general tenor of what they wanted to do um, before they ended up leaving the show. And then after episode six or seven, we just solve all the problems and start ramping up into like an action melodrama. And as far as Ali's question about, you know, maybe they'll just come back in a couple episodes. I don't know. Looking at the first two seasons of disco, I feel like that could be a possibility the way that they've kind of structured their story. But, you know, I hope not. Do a whole uh, season in the future, you know, give it till uh, the end of the season. I think I think they always were going to have to explain why there's no spore drive. Um, and uh, and I think the, the the final talk at the end of the last episode where they're saying, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's treasonous to mention them and so on and so forth <laughs> right. tells us that 
that they're not only they're not coming back, but this is in fact why we don't know of the spore drive. We don't have the tardigrade to do the DNA. All of the the, the people who invented it are gone. Yeah. Um. And and this is not. There's no way to make that workable. And also considering the gravity of what happened, seal this away and make it top secret, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I think I think we've seen the last of uh, the discovery in the 23rd century. Myself. That's the uh, are you are you happy now, Canon wonks? <laughs> We're going to get rid of all this stuff for you. And then uh, again, I don't even think it was. I think it was always going to be uh, that. I think that was that was. I mean, because uh, even someone disassociated from star trek knew that there was no spore drive and you'd eventually have to explain that yeah um i was never afraid that they weren't going to explain that the holograms and stuff i didn't care about that's silly i mean come on i i i'm a uh uh, i work in a hospital uh where they're just building a new uh uh wing and there are a bunch of touchscreen monitors built in the wall to say how much, you know, oxygen is available and so on sure, and so forth. Sure. It looks just as futuristic, quite frankly, as the discovery. <laughs> and the discovery in 30 years is going to look dated. So we weren't yeah. going to have a brand new Star Trek show where it looked like the 60s. Well, I'll see your hospital and raise you. I went to Taco Bell today and there wasn't even a person at the counter. I just ordered off a screen. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was a robot. Uh, no, that, that would have been great. Uh, just dropping uh, yeah, my, my taco onto the floor. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like things uh, change and aesthetics change. And so, yeah, I mean, I just I just felt like it was so pointed. Like I didn't really need a scene with Admiral Mouth just saying, you know, well, we, we can't talk about this anymore. And so everything's got to be restricted. And Sarek can never say the name of his daughter ever again. It's like, we get it. Like, hundred, hundreds of years are going to go by. Like, nobody's going to care. I, I think I, amongst themselves, obviously, they were talking well, yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. But if people can forget about Section 31, they can forget about this ship that ran on magic mushrooms one time. I'm I'm concerned that Spock made a personal log talking about it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, delete the log after all of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the main villain this season, aside from resentment and emotional distance from your family, uh, was I guess Section Thirty One, uh, mainly in the form of Leland. Uh, there's some also some bad morals that show up, and I guess they're in charge, but they get dead real quick. And Section Thirty One is a fan favorite element of Trek, having been used before in DS Nine and Enterprise. What do you guys think about? their inclusion in this season overall. Ello, did you like seeing Section 31 again? Do you think they fit as a villain? I liked it. It's a little, like, I have a little bit of a hard time seeing Starfleet creating something that, you know, kind of, like, they're part of Starfleet, but whenever they show up, it's kind of like this tense situation where they want, like, they want like these like bad things to happen or whatever from the point of view of like our crew and us. But I also at the same time am like big conspiracy mood. Like the man, like Starfleet says they're all this, but they're out here with section 31 (laughs) and like keeping stuff secret and you never know. Yeah, their their methods are encapsulated well in that scene uh, in the two part finale where they're trying to come up with things, and Giorgio's like, "Let's just create a supernova," and everybody's like, "No, no, no, that's not a good idea. We're not going to do that." <laughs> 
I thought it was an interesting choice to use. It's probably a no-brainer to use Section 31 if you want to go with the idea that it's the 23rd century. Maybe we're not all drinking Earl Grey tea and talking our enemies to death just yet, you know, but we've got this huge war we just got out of. So maybe the spies are out in full force trying to keep us out of another one. But what I thought the sort of failing was is that they do this shift to make the big bad an AI. And in that case, I think it obviates the men and women of Section 31 of the kind of like hard choice conflict that we usually see in those storylines. Like we get them doing dirty deeds, but it just gets turned over into a robot that wants to control other robots, ships, and kill everybody. Okay, I'm still a little frustrated. Oh, Dave's got, with Dave's the got whole... your answers if you have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, well, I just like, I feel like they mentioned control and uh, Cornwell took like 2.5 seconds saying, oh, every Starfleet admiral like enters what we're doing in the computer and then the computer tells us if it's a good idea. And I was like, wait, I need a second. And then they were just like, now it's going to kill everyone. It's, it's, it the, it's the uh, Skynet is an app thing from Terminator Genesis where it's like <laughs> we've got this innocent thing we all use and oh my God, it's going to take over our phones. Does anyone feel that control uh, was Daystrom's M1? See, now, oh. yeah, if you're going to go digging in canon, that might have been a, a good thing to uh, try to make the connection to. Well, because what? how does he solve this problem of of control uh, uh, being, uh, uh, you know, out of control, I guess? And the way he solves it is to give it, uh, you know, his own sort of moral personality engrams to make it moral. Right. Which, you know, of course, ends hysterically bad. Yeah. But... Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I sort of saw that as, uh, why would he do something like that? And that's because this particular AI program went very, very wrong. Allie, what did you think about the inclusion of section 31 in season two? I thought it was interesting. Uh, I am, have always been kind of 50, 50 about section 31 because, Kind of like Ellis said, it re represents everything that is kind of like bad about Starfleet. And we don't want to think about Starfleet as like bad mm -hmm. in any way. Mm -hmm. And the stuff they do, it's it's all for a means to an end. It's like it doesn't matter how we have to get this information. We'll do whatever we need to, to get it. And also, though, I think by having storylines like that or having characters um, that are a part of Section 31, it kind of reminds us about how important it is that of like Starfleet's values mm -hmm. other than like section 31, obviously, but like it reminds us how important it is to embrace that diversity and like rise above and be better people and all fulfill our full potential. So I think that it's kind of like a really nice way to kind of supplement. Okay. Obviously what they're doing is really bad, but that's why it is so important that we have this the we have starfleet values and that you see like section 31 and people on discovery you see them butt heads you see yeah you know burnham calling Giorgio a snake other than the fact that obviously she's she was a the emperor from the mirror universe well um, yeah it's, it's complicated <laughs> there's a lot of things that go along with that yeah. but i i did i know a lot of people have said that they didn't like this but I, I kind of did like Giorgio's quote unquote redemption arc. I wouldn't call it a full redemption arc. Um, I would just say I think that we're saving that for the show. Yeah. Well, I see that. I like that we got to see a little bit more like e 
emotion other than like rage and evil yeah. out of her i yeah, guess there's is a, how i can explain that best there's no that's there's a scene a great scene um in the second to last episode or maybe the third to last episode where michael's going to go out and do this and Giorgio. it's the kind of scene they've had a couple times where they sort of snipe over stuff but now she's being a jerk but she's like i can't believe you're doing this it's a dumb idea but the subtext is i care about you and i don't want you to throw your life away on this thing like we've there's got to be some other solution mm-hmm. and that's something you wouldn't think out of like even Mir Giorgio. Yeah, right. I, I think she made it clear at some point pretty early in the season that um that she obviously cared. Um she said something like, When are you gonna start to trust me? Um and she sort of alluded to the idea that uh that she cared about Michael, um, much like she cared about her own Michael, and for very similar reasons that it was difficult for uh for Burnham to to see this Giorgio die, and that's why she brought her with her. Um, so I mean, they're linked in a in a in a very weird sort of uh, uh, mother daughter way. Their relationship was just like so interesting and fun to watch. It's like it's a bummer that we're not going to be able to see that in the Section Thirty One show. You know? Yeah. Does she steal the Red Angel suit and go back to the 23rd century? Is that how we get her into the <laughs> Section 31 show? She could know about the Guardian of Forever and go use that. <laughs> okay, oh. all right. We got a Trek author on our hands here, people. Well, look, uh, since you're all Trek geniuses, including Dave, and I've got you here, I need your help. What actually, actually happens with the signals and the angel and everything else? I'll, I'll tell you what I know. I know it's a bootstrap paradox of sorts. You know, Michael sends the signals that gets him involved, which leads them to defeating control and they head into the future. But and we even get kind of a double bootstrap situation in that Dr. Burnham mentions that she changes the trajectory of the sphere so that Disco runs into it and gets the data in the first place. So is the idea that on a long enough timeline, any timeline, control would eventually get its hands on the data? Because it seems like Control didn't know about the sphere until Disco ran into it. So couldn't Dr. Burnham have, say, sent the sphere on a trajectory that takes it out of the galaxy so that nobody ever gets it? Oh, apparently <laughs> this is not. Tricky. I guess the, the thing that my mind goes to, because there was, I also had that same confusion. And there's like a lot of things that I'm like, okay, I guess I can understand how that works. But then in my mind, it's like, uh, time travel, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I perhaps it's like a time loop thing. Like it's just other than the completely taking it out of like that timeline that there really is no other way. There's an element too of and we find out from um oh gosh, what's his name? He's a son of none, but he's named uh tab tablet tal talbad tablet. Ten of, ten, Let's just say Laurel's. Tenavik. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's an element uh, of the fact that, like, when you use a time crystal or when you interact with one, it sort of locks you into a destiny. And so I think the time crystal they were using in the suit is one that they, you know, got off the black market or something. But maybe somehow Dr. Burnham interacting with that meant that, at least in some way, things would have to go along a certain path. Like, her her path would be locked into a certain. Uh, future or or series of futures but i don't know it does seem kind of timey-wimey was that like the idea though of why she kept getting pulled back to the exact same place in time after so much time of her trying to fix things because she said that did she not that she 
like after trying to to stay i mean she did pop in at points in michael's life but she was always pulled back to the exact same place this like deserted earth planet in whatever time it was yeah that made zero sense to me by the way her <laughs> supposedly yeah, watching michael like some sort of actual angel i i didn't <laughs> Yeah, like the idea is that it's like a rubber band thing, right? Like you, if you travel from one point to in the past or the future, then you have to you're on a tether and you have to come back. But if you can just reset that tether, because she after she flies out to wherever, you know, she flies 900 something years in the future, and then I guess finds or sets herself at Terralesium and says, "I've I've anchored myself or I've set my position at Terralesium," so that she kind of keeps coming back there. It, you know, there. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if there was another 14 episodes, maybe they could get into the real particulars of it or somebody could write a book about it, maybe. I mean, I don't really care. But when it's the entire thrust of what's going on, it becomes kind of frustrating. Like the signals don't make any sense to me. Like I get at the end, we understand that they are flagposts for Disco to find in the past that will gather all the parts you know, for the future. But by the end, we've only got five signals and the last two are just like, oh, you can follow me with this. And the last one is, hey, we're fine. Uh, a signal for Spock. So if they in- appear individually as flagposts, why did they all appear in total, like at once, you know, to kick this whole thing off at the beginning? And why was Spock seeing them like months before uh, they even appeared? I mean, was that because he mind melded with uh, the suit when he was on the ice planet? I think that somebody's um, got to draw a, a flow chart for me. Come on. <laughs> I think that the reason the signals all appeared at the same time was to create a big enough mystery to involve everybody. Um, because it was obvious that, that, that Burnham and discovery and the enterprise had to be involved in some way. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the whole, uh, Dr. Strange seeing, you know, 14 million plus, <laughs> sure. uh, uh, results. And there's only one in which they won. And right. I think that was, this was a very similar situation, which also just like Endgame, made not much sense. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. but, uh, I am told by the prophets that I am a very linear being <laughs> and don't understand <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're telling me that there isn't one future where Tony got a different haircut and they and they still won. Yeah, come on, there's only one future. Uh, so it's basically it's just activate uh, protocol inciting incident. You're you're saying basically. I I think so. I think I think it's a uh, uh, okay. Quite frankly, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it too deeply, which is why time travel is very confusing. Yeah, but. I believe that a lot of the things that happened had to have happened to get the results that they got. Um, and it's not that, by the way, that uh, uh, um, they made a mis- they made a bunch of mistakes along the way, um, and uh, control became this super uh, all intelligent AI and destroyed uh, everything. I think it's that that happens, and uh, no matter what. And only getting them involved, uh, the only thing that Dr. Burnham was able to do was to push the sphere uh, into Discovery's path so that the rest of this all took place. That was her finding the one where things would go well. She just didn't know it. Yeah. Um, And uh, and so I think it's that nothing happened. Just like, for example, um, uh, – Time is time was right when nothing happened and Edith Keeler was hit by a truck. 
and time went wrong when McCoy uh, saved her. Right. So I think <laughs> doing nothing um, in this case yeah. sent AI bad into a, a, a bad place. And it was all of the events that we saw that were the right way to solve it. Yeah. If that makes sense. I no, that, that does. Yeah. It, there's like, you know, there's a deterministic way to tell time travel stories where things are going to happen no matter what. And then there's like the back to the future, you know, you change things, you disappear from the photograph. What I want to know then is like, did the red angel, I guess the red angel always went back in the past to save Michael um, because it isn't until Dr. Burnham gets the suit and is like cruising around, like checking out Michael's history that she even, I guess, sees that Michael was going to get eaten by that monster, which by the way, do you have any way to combat? I've seen yesteryear. I know there's some crazy monsters on Vulcan, but geez, that thing was huge. I assume you could neck pinch it. (laughs) That's a a versatile, yeah. Self-defense method. Just waiting for T'Pol to show up and be like, yeah, science director. It has determined that time travel is impossible. Right. I was like, God, that'd be so great. I got to say, I'm with Saru. Like, them finding that sphere is, like, one of the most important scientific finds that Starfleet has ever discovered. Uh, yeah, okay, it, it's going to get us all killed. But, like, that's exactly what Starfleet is supposed to be doing. And, like, they couldn't, like, drag and drop, like, all the good stuff about the Iconians and the Takan Empire into another folder and keep that and then just get rid of all the AI stuff? The AI would not let itself be deleted. I hate this OS. it's not very user friendly oh my gosh well uh, we've done the hard work here on the show so I think we've earned a chance at a little squee Um, what's a specific moment in particular that would really stand out for you that really did it for you in the show Ella if you had to pick and you can't say Spock if you had to pick a favorite part of Discovery (laughs) season two (laughs) what would it be probably probably something with Tilly wait like a favorite moment yeah, sure. Her getting um, a, a hole drilled in her head. <laughs> that was rough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked the scene where she finally lost it and yelled at May on the bridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it was so, like, heartbreaking. And, like, you just, it's like from the beginning, we've known how much she wants this. And to see her finally sort of succumb to that pressure and like feeling like she is crazy was just so like moving it's another sort of point for captain pike as well in that just imagine if she'd done that to to jellico or something like that he would have fired her out of a torpedo tube you know like the fact that pike is (laughs) pike is clear that like he's understanding and he's like i don't know what's going on something's going on somebody talked to her and then saru kind of gives her like a what what are you doing knock it off (laughs) <laughs> Dave, is there something that you would like flag as like this? This is it. This is why they did it. Season two. Uh, I think uh, I, I think um, Stamets being able to uh, pull Cobbler's mind back uh, by explaining, uh, you know, sort of when they when he knew that they that he loved him. Yeah, uh, I thought that was a, a an amazingly sort of. I mean, my wife and I know, you know, sort of the first moment that we knew we were right for each other. Um, and believe it or not, I think it was like on our second or third date. Hmm. Um, and things just felt surreally as if they always had been a certain way. And this was just the right place and the right time. And I, I, I got that feeling about that. And I thought that was just sort of a perfect scene. 
That's great. Uh-huh. Allie, can you top that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, now mine's going to seem like so insignificant <laughs> yeah. compared to that. <laughs> um, actually, it was a moment where I was like completely... I felt like it was the original series or like the way that they were talking felt so much like the original series. And it was in New Eden. And it was when they figure out that um, the civilization down on Terra Elysium does not, it, I mean, General Order 1 or the the Prime Directive applies to the, the people down there. Yeah. And um, Pike says something that's kind of like a variation of like Clark's third law when he says like any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from God. Um, and I, like you said earlier, I was really hoping that they were going to take it in that whole like science versus religion direction. I was really pumped about that. And, um, especially after we got, you know, Pike was saying that his dad was like, uh, um, he taught his dad taught comparative religion and like in their household it was kind of like strange conversations were going on and I was like man I can't wait for that because that just felt so much to me and there were other moments too where they would say like they'd say Shakespeare quotes or they'd say other famous quotes or they'd they'd refer to something and I was like that feels so much like TOS because I'm also in the middle of a TOS rewatch and it just felt so much like something they would refer to in that so I, I thought that was a really nice touch yeah I love the end of that episode too, where he doesn't have to, but he goes back to the planet, to the basement, you know, and he's like, Hey, you were right. <laughs> Don't freak out. Uh, but you were totally right. Uh, you know, we can't really help you. We can't really do anything, but I wanted you to know that you're right. You know, I, I respect faith, but your faith is in science and in humanity. And so I just wanted to give you a little tip here and a battery, which is still going to ruin their civilization probably, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I thought that was uh, really neat. Um, well, well, it's not. They knew about batteries. Well, they knew, but where do you get the new one run from? Out of power. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. A really fancy battery. Um, so yeah, that guy's not going to keep it quiet. He's going to tell everybody. Uh, at, usually at this point in the show, we check our threat ganglia, but of course we don't have threat ganglia anymore. We've got Wolverine spikes or whatever instead. So I guess uh, we'll just have to look forward uh, boldly into the future. Um, we've got a lot of clues, or we had a lot of clues at this time last year about when season two would come out. We've got not much to, at all to go on about season three. Um, it might be, be them keeping it under wraps, but I'm afraid it probably means that it might be a little while before we see Burnham and crew again with the Picard show slated to launch in late fall or early 2020. Um, so that's good. I mean, at least we have that to look forward to. Uh, I know that last year CBS was um, pushing the hell out of the show for Emmy consideration. Anything in particular that you'd nominate as Emmy worthy for this year? For my part, I got to say, Pike uh, deciding to see his fate, um, that was a hell of a performance. Mm, Okay, sure. I would say um, Gersha Phillips for costume design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've I've met Gersha before. Incredible person. Um, And I just loved the touch that they did, especially on the the Enterprise uniforms and... um, also trying to cosplay that. I just want to cosplay everything, and I don't have enough money to do it all. <laughs> I loved the bridge, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was great. I did, too. Yeah, the <laughs> I know it's like they're going for more cinematic look, and, of course, TVs are wider now, but it's a lot wider. There's a lot more space <laughs> than the original Enterprise bridge, and there's like a scene where they're all standing in front of the uh, view screen looking at something amazing, and there's like eight of them just like, across and it's like you could never fit all those people on the original TOS yes. bridge but that's okay it, it 
admittedly, Star Trek is a horrible documentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ella, what about you? Who gets the Emmy? Um, I would definitely say Sonequa. Like, I just, every episode, I'm surprised by how well she's able to, like, communicate exactly what Burnham is thinking, like, second by second in her, like, face and tone of voice like the scene where um they told her that her mom was alive yeah was crazy good and just like the way that she um sort of shows the audience how being raised on Vulcan like changed her and how you can see her sort of like switch into like like Sarek mode like when she was when yeah, Tilly yeah. was like I'm crazy now and Michael was like well we're just gonna solve the one two three like problem solved <laughs> yeah also that scene initially you know there's the two chess games the one where it ends poorly and then the one that they put it back together but that initial scene where they're playing the chess and it's an old you know metaphor of like we're playing physical chess but we're also playing you know emotional chess but I'm just yeah. watching that again um, this on this rewatch. I was really impressed by both of those actors in it and what they had going on. Well, uh, we're at the end here. Anybody have any final thoughts? Anything that they'd like to add that has gone unsaid? Ooh, watch it if you haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you <laughs> We just yeah, ruined a lot of it yet. if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go back in time uh, in the angel suit. Watch it. Come back. Listen. Beam, beam yourself into yourself so you forget <laughs> <God>. the <positive laughs> And in fact, you can, if you like it enough, you can just beam yourself into yourself again and enjoy it again for the first time. Would that I could, yes. I really think, though, that Discovery, as much as, like, criticism that it's been getting, in my opinion, I think that Discovery carries on the Star Trek legacy very well. And I think that it is a Star Trek for the modern world, but also is able to have those Easter eggs and drawbacks that we are so excited, those characters that we treasure so fondly. And then also now, especially in season three, that they're going to be, however, 900 some years in the future, the discovery will still be able to go where no one has gone before. So I'll end with that. And I'll just, well, yeah, silence after this. That's a great summation to stop the show. <laughs> well, that's it for our show this season. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EIST Pod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both Enterprising Individuals and Discoverage are released. And you can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage or email us at EISTPod at gmail.com. Also, when you're on the internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and subscribe to our show? Give us a rating and a review if you think of it, because it really does help us out. You can stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EIST Pod. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Well, we don't know exactly when it will be, but we will, of course, be back to cover Star Trek Discovery Season 3 when it premieres. And as always, you can hear us talk about that week's episode live just a few minutes after it airs on CBS All Access. We did it, Ella. After Trek Who, we won. We went the distance. So take that. Ella, thanks for joining us on the show. Where can people find you online? Um, you can find uh, me and my dad's podcast at Generations Geek on Twitter and Instagram and generationsgeek.com. And we have a bonus episode coming up where we interview Zach Stentz, who uh, was a screenwriter on the first Thor movie, as well as a bunch of other cool stuff. Sure. And his um, 
new movie, uh, Room of the World, is actually releasing tomorrow on Netflix. So we're going to be asking him some questions about that. Awesome. Uh, check that out. Dave, thanks as always. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, I am on Facebook and uh, on uh, Twitter. I am uh, at Dave Gallanter and um, look me up. And uh, Allie, I just followed you back because I think you follow me. <laughs> oh, great. Follow back. Allie, it was great to have you on. Where can people find you on the web? I can be found primarily on Twitter. My handle is at ttrucky. I can also be found by that same handle on Instagram. If you look up ttrucky on Facebook, it'll take you to my Facebook page, or you can type in the 23-year-old Trucky. My website is ttrucky.wordpress.com. I podcast for the Tricorder Transmissions Network. Shout out to them. Also, I'm going to do a little plug. I am working on a new podcast with one of my dear friends, Shashank Avaru from Tricorder Transmissions, and I I won't say much about it, but it's going to be called Who is Trek? Can you tell us about your web series, Newbies? Oh, yes. Um, I'm currently in the process, almost finally done with editing it. I do it all by myself, so it's quite a a thing to put on um, me while working and getting ready to move. I'm moving soon. But uh, it's a web series that's primarily based around people that haven't watched a certain either TV series or movie before and getting them all together uh, and, you know, having some fun food and sitting together and watching it and getting their reactions on it. Also doing like a before and after interview and then throw on some trivia in there that, I mean, some people just have a breeze with it and others have no idea what's going on. <laughs> the The first episode is Star Trek related. Obviously, Star Trek is um, kind of my, na- uh, my niche, but sure. um, it's going to be a lot of other TV shows and movies that we're going to do as well. And super excited to share it with all of you guys. Kind of a mix of like nerd and non-nerd people. Yeah, exactly. And there's... Um, I, I just get such a kick out of editing it. Um, I, I won't. I won't be mean to any of um, the people that were that that took part in the Star Trek episode. But there was a lot of different opinions and a lot of different um, interesting ideas that were brought up. So that sounds great. Well, be on the lookout for that. Thanks again for joining me, you guys. Thanks for listening to the listeners. We're signing off. This is Aaron for Ali, Dave, and Ella saying, "Live long and prosper." Yeah.